Well, good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors and really glad each of you are here with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series this uh, Sunday with uh, Exodus, which we've been in all fall long. We've titled our series, The Journey of Redemption. If you were here two weeks ago, I preached on Exodus chapter 3, God meeting Moses at the burning bush. And I preached on what it meant for us to genuinely encounter and experience God. Last week, Timothy preached on the inevitability of suffering in our lives and how God uses suffering. This week, I want to speak to you about life with God in the midst of suffering. That if we've met God, we've encountered God one-to-one, and our lives are often filled with suffering, what does it mean for us to walk with God? To have a life with God in the midst of pain, in the midst of trouble. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 5, verse 22 to Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able, and I'm going to read God's Word. This is God's Word to us this morning. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they have lived as, so, as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would come now and bring your word to bear deep within our hearts. Illumine our minds, Lord, change our willingness to walk in your truth. Lord, I thank you that the word of God does not return empty, but it accomplishes the purpose which you have prepared for it. You have been preparing us all week to be in this place this morning. The things that have been going on in our lives, to hear from you, to encounter you, and to walk out of this place different than when we came in. And so, Lord, I ask that your spirit would speak to our spirit. You would remove me, the preacher, so that Christ is exalted so that we might be changed. So in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So we all woke up earlier this week to the horrible news of the mass shooting in Las Vegas. 58 dead, 500, over 500 injured. And a right Christian response is to utter, Why, Lord? Why would this man do this? Why so many lives snuffed out? Why so many families devastated? You go back a few weeks before that. 
and our president makes remarks about NFL players. And then that Sunday, many NFL players protest by kneeling during the national anthem. And since then, there have been storms of opinions on Facebook. Talking about respecting the flag and counter voices to saying it's not about the flag. It's about justice and an awareness to systemic problems in our country. And I've seen more divisive statements on Facebook in the last three weeks than I care to count. And a right Christian response is to utter, why, Lord? Why are we so divided and why are we so quick to judge rather than to listen? You go back to a week before that. Hurricane Maria rips across Puerto Rico. Second hurricane in as many weeks, this one with much more force, leaving Puerto Rico devastated. And a right Christian response is, why, Lord? Why would these people experience such loss? Why another hurricane? We don't need to raise our eyes up too far to see the pain and suffering in our world. And if we get honest about our own lives, we can voice questions like this. Why, Lord? Why am I not married? Why is my marriage not what I want it to be? Why, Lord, can I have children? Why are my children so difficult? Why can't I save enough money? Why does it feel like my family's being torn apart? Why can't I get that job I want? Why do I feel so lonely? We experience personal hardship, personal pain and suffering, and a right Christian response is to say, Why, Lord? Moses sees the pain and the suffering of the Israelites, and he is experiencing his own personal pain and suffering, and he asks the Lord in chapter 5, verse 22, Why, Lord? Why? But before we get into Moses asking this question, I want to recap some of Moses' life. Exodus chapter 3, Moses meets God at the burning bush. And God tells Moses, hey, uh, you're to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let Israel go. And Moses resists God's call on him five times. He's complaining and he's questioning God's call. And at the very end, Moses says, God, please send someone else. But Moses goes. Moses obeys and he follows God. And Pharaoh's response is, what are you asking, Moses? In other words, how dare you? And so what does Pharaoh do? He goes, the Israelites are lazy. They need more work. So he orders them to make more bricks and to make bricks without straw. Pharaoh expects more with less resources. And there's no way that Israel can meet these expectations and demands. So Pharaoh has one of his foremen, his own foreman, beaten because the quota of the bricks are not being met. So not only is Pharaoh angry at Moses for asking to let Israel go, Israel is angry and mad at Moses because their slavery has become more harsh. I mean, everybody's mad at Moses. All right, let me make a point here. What we see in Moses' life with God and his relationship of faith with God is this. Moses obeyed God. He followed God at his word. He trusted God, and things got worse for Israel. Things got worse for Moses. Obeying and following God sometimes means things might get worse. A family decides to hear the call of God to be missionaries to an unreached people group. So they take their three children, they finally get in country, and one of their children contracts, contracts a rare life-threatening disease. 
They're forced to go back home to get medical treatment, and people around them mutter, we told you not to go. I mean, an employee sees corruption at work. It weighs heavy for a long period of time, and they finally mention it to their boss, and no one listens. In fact, this employee gets branded a troublemaker and divisive. Perhaps someone refuses to date another person because that person isn't what God's Word says to look for in a spouse. And so they follow God, and then it seems like nobody's coming along to date, and they're longing to date somebody. Perhaps a pastor starts to preach God's Word faithfully, true to what he believes God says to his Word, to their congregation, and instead of the church growing, the church shrinks. And our life of faith with God, sometimes following and trusting God, means things might get worse. Everybody's mad at Moses. (laughs) Moses sees the suffering of Israel. Moses himself is suffering. And how does he respond? Verse 22. Moses turned to the Lord. Moses turned to the Lord. Herein lies the key of faith, of a life of faith with God, turning to God. When suffering and troubles arise and life gets hard, we all turn to something. And we all turn somewhere. The question is, do we turn to God? Or do we turn to other things? One of my favorite all-time movies is an old movie called What About Bob? Bob, played by Bill Murray, brilliant, brilliant. Patient of psychiatrist Dr. Marvin. And Bob drives Dr. Marvin crazy. Because Bob's always asking questions. He's always showing up unannounced. Somehow Bob has weaseled his way to becoming good friends with Dr. Marvin's family. Dr. Marvin can't seem to get away from Bob. So in desperation to get rid of Bob, he tells Bob to do what he himself was about to do and to take a vacation. And Bob says, a vacation for my problems? What a great idea. And then Bob decides that if he's going to take a vacation, he might as well do it with his psychiatrist. So he shows up with Dr. Marvin and Dr. Marvin's family on their vacation, and Bob brings his problems with him. And all of a sudden, Dr. Marvin's problems are with him. I think that's a great picture. I think we're all tempted to believe and think that we can take a vacation from our problems. That it's a good idea to take a vacation from our problems, but the Bible never encourages this because the Bible is too realistic about the difficulties of, of life in a fallen and broken world. The truth is this. Our problems always follow us. And the Bible knows you can't create enough distractions so you won't feel lonely. You can't drink enough alcohol so you won't feel the pain of your day. You can't amass enough power so you won't feel afraid. You cannot practice quid pro quo in your marriage and function together as an allusion to intimacy. This is why what Moses did is our only hope in the midst of a fallen world. Moses turned to the Lord. This is life with God, turning to Him in prayer. But look at what Moses says. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Moses asked God, why Lord? Why are the Israelites suffering? Lord, why am I suffering? Here's the first thing I want to point out. Life with God in a fallen world means bold questions and bold questioning. 
Perhaps you read Moses and you think, how dare Moses? I mean, Moses, I mean, he's God. How dare you talk back to him? And it's true he's God, and we're not. But we are human, and we hurt, and we suffer, and like Moses, we're confused. And so Moses wrestles with God. Wrestling with God in confusion, in prayer, in questioning is a mark of faith. Deep faith calls forth for bold questions. Shallow faith never questions God. Bold faith asks God questions. Superficial faith never wrestles. The deep cries of our hearts, those cries that are there when you're silent, those cries that many others don't know exist, when you express them to the Lord, pay our God the highest compliment. Because it means that we're believing He's there and that He cares. Do you cry out to God? Those questions that are deep in you, like, God, what's the point? God, surely there's more to life than this. God, will I ever be loved? God, how much longer can I do this? God, are you really there? God, are you good? If God were some mechanical deity removed from his creation, why would we cry out? But the cries of our heart pay him supreme compliment, for we believe that he cares about us. There is nothing within your heart that is out of bounds with God. He can handle it. And more than handle it, he wants to hear the cries of your heart. You know, the Bible is full of people who cry out to God. The Bible's full of lament, protest, complaint. Abraham in Genesis cries out, Moses in Exodus. David throughout the Psalms questions God. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, questions God. John the Baptist, even Jesus, in his greatest hour of need, cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is this how you pray? Is this how you pray? Are you willing to engage God in your confusion, in your tears? Because our world and our lives are filled with fear, sadness, hurt, shame, guilt, loneliness, anger. And deep faith, life with God is turning to God with the fullness of our emotions and crying out to Him. Second thing we see is that life with God in a fallen world means trusting who He is and what He will do. God responds to Moses in chapter 6, Now you'll see what I'll do to Pharaoh. So the Lord neither ignores or brushes Moses aside. He hears Moses, and then He assures Moses, Moses, this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do. He doesn't give answers to to Moses' question, but He addresses Moses' questions by pointing Moses away from Moses and to the Lord. Verse 1, he says, with a strong hand, they'll be driven out. Strong hand they'll, uh, will be sent out. And further down in the passage, it says, with a strong right arm, God will deliver his people. That's an image all throughout Scripture. God's strong right arm will deliver his people. And then verse 2, God says, I am the Lord. If you were here and looked at Exodus chapter 3, This is when Moses in Exodus 3 says, God, who shall I tell them them has sent me? And God says, tell them I am. 
I am who I am. I am the Lord. Then verse 3, which can seem confusing, but I think what's happening in verse 3 is, is God's not saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know the Lord. But look at verse 3. It says, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. By my name, Yahweh, the I am. He's saying they didn't know me like you will know me, Moses. Because they did not see what you're going to see. They did not experience me working out redemption like you will see, Moses. You've got to remember, I am who I am can be translated. I will be what I will be, meaning God's character is rooted in his actions to his people. Who God is is rooted in what God will do. And God is constantly repeating to Moses and to Israel, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. All throughout Exodus, we've seen it already and we'll see it for the rest of Exodus. This is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And if Moses needed to hear it, Israel needed to hear it, how much more do we need to hear this message of salvation, of a God who is true to who he is and has promised to do what he's going to do? We need to hear it over and over. Verses 6 to 8, God gives Moses seven I wills. Seven I, I will, I will, I will. Again, God, who God is is rooted in his actions. Phil Riken says this about the seven I wills. That the first two speak, the first two I wills speak of liberation. Liberation means being freed from whatever you're serving to now serve the one you were made to serve, to serve the Lord. I will liberate you. The third I will speaks of redemption. It's an economic term. It means to buy back. That it'll cost. A debt has to be paid. And, and so God was going to force the Egyptians to pay the price that it would cost to bring the Hebrews out of slavery. The next two I wills contain the promise of adoption. God says he'll take covenant ownership of his people. That they will have the protection of a father who will guide them and always be with them. And then the last two I will speak of a future possession. God's talking about where he's taking his people. The joy that awaits them in a land that he will give them. Moses, full of fear, full of confusion, mad at God, turns to God. And God says, look at me. This is what I will do for you. This is what I will do for the Israelites. And the hard part is that Moses would have to wait on God to act in the ways that he's promised. And we all know waiting's hard, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't get annoyed when you're trying to send a text message and that blue bar is like, and it stops in the middle? You're like, come on, man, i got to send another text message. Like, I'm, I'm in a hurry. You know what I mean? I mean, you're trying to get fast food, and the line is anything but fast. <clears throat> right, you're like, I should have just gone somewhere and sat down for lunch. This is, this is ridiculous. Or you go to the grocery store, and you go to the fast checkout line, the, you know, the self-checkout line that's supposed to be really fast, and it's like 10 people deep. And you're like, man, what am I doing waiting? I should have just gone to the other counter, right? We're a culture that doesn't know how to wait. But waiting is a key to life with God. For we, just like Moses, live between the present and the promise. The present realities of a fallen world, but the promises of God that will come in his timing. This is where we live. This is a life of faith. And we have been promised liberation, redemption, adoption, and possession of a land. The new heavens and the new earth. 
And I would say that we, church, know more of the Lord than even Moses did. Israel was released from bondage in Egypt. God set his people free. But we live on the other side of the cross. We live in a time where God acted for his people by sending his only son. And with an outstretched arm, he sets us free from the tyranny of sin. A bondage so great that it required the sacrifice of God's only son. And hear me, in Christ, the I will becomes the I have. For in Christ, by faith in him, we have been liberated. We've been set free from the chains of sin and the power of sin. We have been redeemed, purchased with a great price. We have been brought into the family of God, made sons and daughters. We have received the glorious promise of an inheritance, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, guaranteed with the seal of His Spirit. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they didn't listen to Moses. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. God says seven times, I will, I will, I will. And Israel says, I won't. I won't listen. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now the broken spirit in the Bible is sometimes a description of a good thing. A broken and contrite heart God, God will not despise. But this broken spirit is different. This is speaking of the Israelites having their spirit crushed. Their souls are crushed to the point of preferring the chains and bondage of Egypt more than waiting and believing God at His Word. That's our temptation. When we have ranging emotions because of a fallen and broken world, the question is, will we turn inward and be crushed in our spirit and in our soul, and therefore turn or return to our sin and our sinful patterns? Or will we cry out and be honest with God? Turning outside of ourselves and turning to Him in prayer, will we wait and believe that He will continue to work out His salvation in our life and in this world, that He who began a good work will complete it? When you look at our world, there's a lot of pain. And a lot of suffering. And at times in your lives, there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. If it's up to you to alleviate the pain and suffering, who is left to blame when more pain and more suffering comes? And who is there really to deliver you? Throughout Exodus, God says, I am and I will. And Jesus says, I am the I am. And I have done for you what you could never do. So believe and trust and follow me. And if you do, sometimes it may be harder. But we turn to God and we cry out in full honesty. And we wait in the present for what is promised in the future. And we trust that Jesus will accomplish all that he's promised to us. This is a life of faith. Let's do it together. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would would help us to see what it looks like to walk with you in a, a broken world, what it looks like to turn to you and to trust you and does not mean denying our humanity, actually means embracing it and you meeting us there. 
Lord, I thank you that you're with us. Lead us more into deeper faith with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.